um, Kelly. Um, I, I'm going to be selfish and have um, these guys pray for, um, pray for my, my bride. Um, she is going to be having surgery this next week. And like, all right. Um, and just want to pray for her and probably pray for me to be a good nurse uh, <laughs> at home. But. Lord Jesus, as always, we give our lives to you. And, uh, and you are in well control of them. And, uh, and we pray, Lord God, for Kelly. We pray that, uh, that you would just be able to have your hand on her. Yes, God. Thank you. Uh, let her know that she is ever within the palm of your hand, just uh, nurtured and loved and cared for. And uh, and heal her quickly, Lord yes, God. Sir. Thank you, Jesus. We pray for the hands of uh, of the medical personnel, but we pray that your Holy Spirit more yes. Uh, yes. more effectively would just move through her. Yes, God. Thank you, and because you are the one, Lord God, you are the maker of us all. And you know exactly the little things that uh, we each need. And you can direct those things and you can uh, put them right in an instant. Mm, yes, God. Thank you, we lean totally on you, Lord God. Yes, God. You're the one. And we trust you in Kelly's life. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. All right. Hopefully that won't fall right in the middle, bam, you know, wake us all up a little bit. Well, good morning again, and um, I thank you for that. I, I thank you for going with me on, on this little journey we're going on. We're, we're following the Lord. We're, we're bringing as many others as we possibly can, um, but it's an awesome journey we can be on, right? Um, well, we've been in this, this uh, sermon series on I Have Decided the art of following Jesus. We're going to continue. Um, we've got a, a couple more weeks of this, and actually ending on Father's Day. Um, I, I encourage you to come. I know that um, fathers, um, you know, want to want to wake up a little bit later, and maybe want to want to um, keep those sleepy pants on a little longer. Um, but I would encourage you to come. I, I think it, it'd be really important to come because there is no sermon that week. Um, we are going to be um, doing a testimony weekend. Um, and I want to clarify a little bit of what, what I mean by that. A testimony weekend. Testimony of what, what God has done in your life, in your following the Lord. Maybe that's just a little story. Maybe you got a snippet of something. This doesn't necessarily have to be your testimony. This is a testimony uh, that is given, giving glory to God for something he's done in our lives. We understand that? So I expect a few of you to step up, maybe a, a lot of you, we might have, to, might have to pull in the reins, you know, on, on a few of you. Give like five minutes and a little hook, you know. No, I'm, sorry, I'm kidding. Uh, don't want to put the hook up there for somebody's testimony. I think that's, it's really awesome when we share because it's not just the pastor's voice. It is uh, the people of God's voice being spoken out and praising God. And I think it's important for us to do. So we'll have a couple mics up here. We'll, um, we'll come to you if we need to, if you, if you want to just stay where you're seated and, and we're going to share. Um, so Father's Day is going to be a great thing for that. Um, guys, um, please don't wear your sleepy pants um, to church. Uh, please. Just, 
Just saying. Um, but this morning, um, we're going we're gonna to go through rather quickly. Um, we're going to look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and Luke 18. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and Luke 18 is where we're going to go. Uh, but just to kind of close out a thought, um, our title this morning is Jars and Kids, just, just in case you need to know. Um, but I wanted to close out a thought um, from our time in communion, our time in, in worship, our time um, reflecting upon the Holy Spirit. I, a couple verses just to maybe jot down um, to look at this next week and to chew on. Um, one is um, from Acts 1, um, verses 8 and I think 9. It says, uh, uh, no, it's verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit come, has come upon you, and you will be my witness, witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the, um, to the end of the earth. Um, a lot of times I hear that um, being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all that. And I, and I think about mission. I think about um, uh, missions, mission and ministry. Um, Jerusalem is, is, is Wenatchee for us, right? That, that local place is, is that Jerusalem for us. Um, Samaria might be East Wenatchee, just a little bit over the river, and then getting out further and further, this concentric circles of ministry for our church. Um, and, but I, a lot of times I miss where I, I leave off, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Our mission is preceded by the Holy Spirit's power in our life. It's good to remember. Um, also wanted to throw out, um, just in thinking about the Holy Spirit, part of this is I've got a series on, on the Holy Spirit coming up a little bit later this summer. Um, and, and I just want to, I've just been reading in it and it's just drenching myself in, in things about the Spirit. And, and um, the other one is, is chapter two of Acts. Um, the first uh, four verses there are talking about um, how they were all together in one place and the, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. So I, I would be maybe looking at those next week and, and be praying through um, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Okay, enough said, moving on. Um, our big idea this morning. So our big idea, the thing that you need to take away with you, um, if you can get anything, this would be it, okay? Um, the art of following Jesus takes broken vessels and simplicity, Broken vessels and simplicity. I want to clarify simplicity. I am not meaning simplistic. There is a difference. Simplistic is usually stilted, blocky. It just makes me think of that. But simplicity is that whole kiss principle. For sake of the room, keep it simple, silly. Anyway, um, but that's that kind of simplicity where we just kind of keep it simple because we need to. Um, but, you know, you think about kids. Think about how the kids do that you know. And um, they just seem to get some things better than adults. Don't they? Sometimes they get things and you kind of you look at what they say and you go, or listen to what they say and you go, wow, I never thought of it that way. Because their, their, their minds are little sponges. They are just ready for everything. They're trying to learn. They're just like taking in information and they're spitting out results. Sometimes it's rather hilarious, the results that we get, but there are things that they spit out. They, I mean, from the mouth of babes, right? And they, they get fun. They get play. They, they do not have a no in their vocabulary when it comes to play. I mean, we may say no, I mean, but they don't, they, somebody says, oh, you're doing this, and they might do the little, no, 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 
But as far as like playing, they, they'll, they'll, they'll jump in. They have an imagination that they're going to share with one another. Um, and they're going to do it because they don't have a no. I've watched um, my daughter with some other kids, um, and, and it just seems like they, they go from one thing to another. They're, we're going to play like we're fire, firemen. We're going we're gonna to play like we're astronauts. We're going to, you, you know what I mean? It's like it morphs together, and you kind of go, where's the narrative to this story? My head hurts. It's spinning. But they have this creativity. It's, it's, like, it's like finger painting. Um, I remember um, being in art um, and, and doing things like uh, making a pot or, or, or painting a, a, a watercolor and, and how, how you're striving for something. And you know what we're really striving for? Masters strove for this. The masters were always trying to get to that place of finger painting. They go through all of this training, all of this, this beautiful artwork that they can create that looks realistic at times, or, or maybe like Monet, I mean, maybe not realistic. But they were trying to get back to a place of creativity that they had when they were kids. And, and I think that that, that, that simplicity, um, it, it, it speaks volumes. Like, like this picture right here is, is a picture that, um, of uh, my daughter's drawing, one of my daughter's drawings. And, and, and what's crazy is this, this, there's so much love in this, because those are little hearts, Okay, and she's drawing this for me, and she says that you know um, this is you, I, I, I think, with the hair. <laughs> you know, I've said it before. My hair is just in a constant state of praise. I'm just. And this is her, and you see how we have hearts on, so we have love in us. There's love around us, and then there's God and Jesus, and there's love up there. But then she starts drawing someone's, and she says, you know what? There's even love between us. So she puts these three hearts in the middle there. There's love between us. She understands. This is, theologians struggle with stuff like this, right? But she gets it. And, and there's a sense that we're, even in, in our theology and our thinking about God, we're trying to come back to that simple place. Not simplistic, but Simplicity. There's something peaceful about that simplicity in our lives, isn't there? Well, this morning, as I said, we're going to go um, to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4, if you want to turn with me there. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're in verses 7 through 14. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Um, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. <clears throat> and we, <clears throat> we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence." Let's pray for his revelation this morning. Heavenly Father, as we read your word, as we, we dig into your word, God, we just pray for a revelation 
Um, help, help us to see the, the simple truth um, in what we're hearing, um, to know it, to, to be able to digest it, God, to be able to, to move in it, to be able to um, speak it ourselves, God. Um, we pray that you would even unpack that, those truths this next week as we go about our week, that it would unpack even more from what we hear today. We just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The idea of carrying in our, our, our body the death of Jesus is, um, uh, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies so encompasses the lives of, of being Jesus' people. Um, we are... Um, these pieces of pottery, um, and not, not perfect pots either. I mean, think about um, how kids can create pots. They, they look all like these, it's amazing they'll hold anything in them, right? You know, just thumbprints and, and all of this gnarly looking pottery, right? Well, they have, um, there's this imperfection to it. But we are made perfect not by what we are. We're made perfect by what's in us and what's going through us, Yes? Have you ever heard of um, the Japanese art of kintsugi? I, I don't know if the picture went up or not. Kintsugi is this, this um, artwork. It's this revered artwork of broken pottery in Japan. And if you've ever seen it up close, you can't quite tell maybe in the picture, but it, these cracks have been, have been mended, and they've been mended with precious metals. They've been mended with, with gold or, or silver or platinum. And... Um, that those, those pots become worth more than what they were to begin with. You might even see a pot that just has a, has a chip out of it, and they'll fix that chip on the edge. And, and it goes from being this, this, this pot that somebody might throw away to being a piece of pottery that's worth hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. Um, because it, it, it's so creatively done, but I think it's such a great representation of the Christian life. Because aren't we broken pots? <laughs> Crack pots? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was not the Holy Spirit, by the way, because he doesn't... <laughs> the Holy Spirit has way better jokes than I do. Um, but... <laughs> but isn't that great? It's such a wonderful image of us, an image of us as Christians, um, we're cracked and broken, and, and in, in many ways, we're unusable until the Lord fills in those cracks and fills us up again. Um, this thing's kind of winging out. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I know many of you are probably thinking I'm like, uh, I'm like trying to be in a boy band. Whatever. Can't dance, so that never happened. So um, luckily for us, right? Um, but... These, uh, these repairs that God makes, they're, they're very obvious too. They're very, they're, they're, they're very apparent to people around us. We share those things that God has repaired in us, right? That's a testimony in our lives. Is we, we are able to say, hey, I was broken here, but God mended that. It's, it should be very obvious. They should be, but those, those repairs are also, those scars are beautiful in their own right. Um, and, and God does not want to, to just heal us in solitude. He doesn't want to heal those cracks by ourselves. He doesn't want to have us go off into the wilderness and be alone and not share that with anyone. Those, those healings are for the body. Those healings are for our community, for people to see, you know what? God healed them. He can heal me. 
Glory to God. It's a testimony of our brokenness, of how we've been repaired, um, and those repairs are the hallmark of Jesus' people. There are hallmarks of Jesus' people. In, in a sense, they're, they're those, those characteristics of us. And our ter- testimony can be the greatest outward expression of the gospel in our lives. Our first point this morning is this. Um, broken is our preferred state as followers of Jesus. Broken is our preferred state. How many, how many people would prefer to be Broken. So it's not necessarily that as people we want to be broken, but, but as people that are following after Jesus, that is a preferred state because when we are broken, we can be made new and used for his purposes. Without Jesus, being broken or deficient in, in a way is not really ideal. So if we don't have Jesus in our life, we, we don't want to be broken. We want to be perfect. That's what the world tells you, right? If you're not perfect or you're, you're not... Um, doing well, like, so how are you doing today? What's the response generally? Good. I'm doing great. Life's falling apart behind me, but I'm doing good. My mortgage is falling through. I'm doing good. I, 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 I've been divorced for three years. I mean, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's things that we just, we just put that mask on and we put that face on and we don't get beyond that. But with Jesus in our lives, those things become those those mended and beautiful scars. Look at it another way. You guys remember judges? All these judges judging. <laughs> In chapter 7 of Judges, there, we see um, a story of Gideon's army and how, how um, God uniquely thinned down this army. Okay? We've seen the, you've seen that movie that came out, The, the 300, and it was like this kind of idealized like battle with the Spartans. Um, that, that's a cool story and stuff. But this is an even better 300 story. Because God takes this, uh, this army of, of 32,000 plus soldiers and keeps telling Gideon, you got too many. You're going up against, you know, 125,000. You got too many. So, so Gideon, listening to God, is like, okay, God, you're, you're God, and I'm just following you, so what, what do we do? We're going to, um, we'll thin down the army. So uh, first thing, I'm going to just ask, hey, anybody not want to go to war? Anybody afraid? Um, and he, <laughs> he, he ends up having 22,000 guys go home. Two-thirds of his army go home. That's, that's not an army. Come on, 10,000 against 125,000? What kind of odds you got, right? That's kind of scary. But then on top of that, God goes, yeah, it's still, it's still too many. You, you got to thin it down again. And so they had, um, God has um, Gideon um, propose a, a drinking contest. Not that drinking contest. Um, he has them go down to the water, and he wants um, Gideon to observe. And, and, and those that, um, that lap the water like a dog, you're going to keep. And the rest are going to go home. And so they go down to the water, and, you know, you've been hiking before, and, um, well, I, I would never really drink out of a river at this point. Um, you know, different 
E. coli and all that. But, but if you say, say you knew that there was a really good river or lakeside that you could go and, and drink out of, um, what, what a lot of people do. They go down to the water and they'll get down and they'll get down to the water so that they can drink it, get close to it, right? Um, and that's what most people did. Um, but there are ones that lapped the water like dogs while standing, okay? Um, so they went down and they would, um, the, the, the ones that drank like that, they sent home and, and the only ones that were left were 300. So 300 stayed. The 300 would go down and they would cup water and they would lap it while they're looking around. God wanted the very attentive, the ones that were going to sit there and drink while they're looking around the horizon to see if the enemy is coming. 300 men against 125,000. This is, this is ridiculous. This is scary. Um, and... And God wanted them to go down to this point. Now, now Gideon goes on to, to test God a little bit about, okay, so we're going we're gonna to do this, we're going to do that. There's a whole fleece and all that. But um, they, they go off to battle, and these men go off to battle with a jar, a clay jar, earthenware jar, with a torch in it, lit torch, a, um, and a trumpet, and no sword. There's no reference to swords for these guys. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> now, you should have a sword at least if there's 300 of you against 125,000. But they go out, and, and, and the fact that they're going up against these guys, uh, the 300 against 125,000, this should be a suicide mission. This should end like the other movies. Sorry, spoiler, um, that, they all died. Um, just saying. Um, they, weren't, they weren't with God. So there you go. Um, but the, the, the 300 were going against, it should have been a suicide mission, but it wasn't. Um, but they went under the cover of night, um, and their numbers were hidden. And God is the best strategy planner of all. He's a strategist above strategists. And, and I'm sure Gideon's just going, okay, God, whatever. And the guys are going, there's only 300 of us. Okay. Um, but they go at night. And if you know anything about ancient um, warfare, they didn't really fight at night because, because they knew that the armies weren't really good at <laughs> identifying who was the bad guy and who's the good guy. So they liked to have daylight so you could see the colors, you could see the flags, you could kind of identify who's your friendly and who's not. Um, but they went at the cover of night and first they were ordered to blow their horns. So there was a sound of 300 horns. Um, bearing down on the army while they're sleeping. This would have been terrifying for them because they're like, wait a second, that's a, that's a battle horn and I'm still sleeping. You know, some coming out with their teddy bear. Was that a horn? Um, <laughs> but they used horns to rally troops, to communicate things in battle. And this was a shofar, so this was a pretty loud horn. Um, and, and usually what they would do, you'd kind of hear it going through the battle um, letting people know some sort of, you know, maybe a couple blows would be go in and three blows and they go out. And so they have different communication with these horns, but there wasn't a horn for every man. These horns usually would represent hundreds or even thousands in, in a regiment. Um, and, and so there was the sound of these horns. So now they're thinking, wow, this, this is a big army. And then there's the sound of these jars being broken because they were to break the jars to bring out these torches. And all at once, there's all this light. So, so they hear these jars and they're like, 
what was that? And then they see the light of these torches, which the torches wouldn't have necessarily been carried by the army because they would have been carrying either you know, a shield and a sword or they'd been carrying something else, but usually they didn't have anything in their hands. And the, the, the one torch was representing a large group as well. Um, and the fact that they were fighting at night, I mean, they didn't do this. So was, they're just totally clueless about how many people are coming down on them. They're coming down from the high ground, which is not a place to be um, below, but they were. Um, and, and, and it must have been just this bone-chilling sound. And then the men shout out in unison. It just drove them to, be, to go wild. These guys are probably throwing on their stuff, grabbing their swords, getting out of their tents, just to try to survive. And the Midians were driven to this, this crazy um, fervor and not knowing how many they were facing, they went out and they started hacking and slashing at anything that moved. And they were hacking and slashing at their friends and their fellow army, their fellow um, soldiers. And they ended up um, being routed. I mean, they, they lost a lot that day and they, they routed, which means to, they retreated and they retreat off and there's another, another battle later. But, but this is one of those things where these guys went out without a sword because they couldn't carry it. They had, a, they had a, a trumpet and they have this jar that they have to break and grab their torch. Where's the sword go? So what was the result of this? I mean, the result is that they won this battle. But they could take no credit for it. Why is that? Because the credit belonged completely, entirely to God. They gave it completely and entirely to God. The, the, the victory was God's in this. And this is such a great representation of the battle in our lives because the battle's already been won. We just have to I guess we have to blow our own horn? No, uh, no, not that. No, I, I, there's a sense that we, we do need to share. We do need to share what, what is the glory of God in our lives. What, how, how did God get us here? In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul writes about this treasure in jars of clay, and it makes me think about Gideon's army every single time because they had these jars of clay, and they had to break the jars to get those torches out. Hello. And, you know, I, 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 know, I know that the, the jars of clay in, in this reference are really referencing the gospel. They're referencing this treasure that's in us. But Gideon's army comes to mind, the light coming out of the jars, because the gospel comes out of us. We are these flawed jars. We are these cracked earthenware vessels because the light needs to leak out somehow. We need to be a little bit cracked. And if you're facing difficulty, if you've had difficulty in your life, if you've had pain in your life, if you're struggling, if you've struggled in the past or you are now, and if you've overcome, if you've been overcome with the sin in your life, if you're overwhelmed by the feeling that you, uh, you'll never be used by God because of everything that you've done, good, good, because you're in a good place. 
We read time and time and time again of these people in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament that are, they were messed up people. Some of them were, were kind of going, man, you're more messed up than me and God used you? Wow. How much more can God use us? Jesus said that we would do greater things. I mean, he said it about the disciples, but he was talking to us. He was saying, you know what? I did these things, but you know what? My people will do greater things. The Holy Spirit in them will do greater things. That's an awesome promise that we can take hold of no matter where we are in our life. And a testimony is all about being overcomers in this world and giving all the glory to God. We can't sit there and go, I overcome this, I overcame this, I, I've, I've overcome this sin, and stop there. We can't. There's no way. The conversation has to go, I've overcome this by the blood of the Lamb and by the Spirit that dwells within me. I'm sharing it with you because I know you can overcome too. That's how we're driven, isn't it? If we stop if we stop at the fact that God overcame something in our lives and that's it, we're done. God might as well just call us home. But why does he keep us here? Why? To share. To share the good news. To share Jesus. To share what he's done in our lives. To share what he, he has helped us to overcome. To share how we had pain and we no longer have pain because of the Holy Spirit in our lives being the comforter. We're still going to face trials. We're still going to face pain. We're still going to have things in our life that are like a, a thorn in the side. But ultimately... We are here to be used by him. To speak what he's done in our lives. To speak what he's doing in our lives so that others might be able to, to sense uh, that call on their lives to be able to come to the Lord, be able to overcome things in their lives and become those beautiful pots that show the glory of God. Our second point is this, we must celebrate our own weaknesses, our own weakness as followers of Jesus. Second uh, Corinthians 4, 15 through 18 says, For it is, all, it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For the light, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are um, seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are, are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. We celebrate our weakness in that our weakness or, or struggles or as Paul calls them, afflictions, um, are nothing in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. That's where our peace comes from. When we latch on to that eternal weight of glory, the glory that is in Christ, that's where our peace, where our healing, our overcoming comes in. There's a sense, there's a sense that um, is taking place outside of us as we, 
as we age, there's, there's, there's something going on as we age, as we, as we are continually going through changes in our life, um, that, we, um, that what is taking place inside of us should be contrary to this. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We may age, we may become infirm, we may uh, have things happen to us, but, but inside of us, that, that weight of glory is renewing us. It's, it's making us new. It's making us fresher. It's making us... Does that make sense? Am I the only one that grasped that? Jesus, as we follow after Jesus, our spirit is being continually renewed. Our, our lives should reflect this renewal. So if we're being renewed, there needs to be an outward expression of that renewal in our lives or we're not really being renewed. Ouch. This renewal is going to show in our thankfulness. It's going to show in our grace. Grace under fire. You've heard that term, right? When we're, grace under fire is like um, driving on the freeway in Seattle during rush hour and having an inner peace. That's grace. Having somebody that you're talking to on the phone at a call center about something, some bill that you've got to do and not wanting to shout your head off at them because they don't understand where you're at but giving them grace because they probably hear about a thousand people a day saying the same thing. Being able to talk to a sibling or a family member that just frustrates you. Anybody hear me on that one? Do we have family? Do we have neighbors that, that you just like, oh, he's borrowed everything in my, my garage and not given a single thing back. But I love him. Come here, give me a big hug, big guy. Another thing I wanted to hit before we, we go out today was Luke 18. Um, and 15 through 17 says, Now we, um, they were bringing even, even infants to him um, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. As we move and operate in grace and gratitude, this will have an impact on others around us, yet it will primarily have a profound effect on our own lives, our spirit, and the outcome of our following after a living and dynamic Jesus. This life with Jesus humbles us. This life with Jesus clarifies where we are, who we are, what we are doing in this world. And it makes each step before us more and more purposeful than the last. Number three, and this is a hard one to hear. This was a hard one for me to write. Humility and simple faith are characteristics of the followers of Jesus. It's hard to hear, it's hard to write, but it's, it's so awesome in practice. Much like those children we are to have a simplicity in our, our faith. Um, it's not to be that complex. Jesus made it plain to a group of fishermen and, and tax collector and, and a thief and a, a bunch of knuckleheads. He made it clear to them. He made it clear to Peter. Come on. This guy had more misunderstandings when, when Jesus would say something. He'd be like, oh, 
okay, then I'll do this, right? But he had such a simple faith. I mean, he's the only one that stepped out on the water. What happened to the other guys? You know, people go, oh, you have little faith. Peter, oh. But how many of us would have stepped out on the water? Would have had that simple of a faith to go, well, Jesus is doing it, I'm doing it. We make it difficult for ourselves so often. And you know what's even harder is when we make it difficult for other people. Because we think that we've got it down. You look different than me. You need to look like me before you can really be a follower of Jesus. You talk different than me. Ah, You've got to have the same kind of terminology we have at church. Or you're not really truly a follower of Jesus. I told you before, one of my favorite times is, um, with, with new believers is hearing them pray for the first time or, you know, the first couple times because sometimes their language, it's, it, it's hilarious because they're, they actually get the conversation with, with Jesus better than, than people that have been, pre, you know, been praying for years. Now, sometimes they'll even drop in some, some language that might be um, interesting to hear the first time in a prayer. They might drop, drop what we refer to as an F-bomb. In talking with God. But you know what? I, I know God looks past that. He sees the heart. I'm not saying that we do that in a prayer. I'm just saying that there are some people, when they're coming to the Lord, they're coming raw. They don't look like us. They don't sound like us. Amen. And you know what? That is what we are called to this place of humility for. It's not about them coming in in humility. It's about us going out in humility. There's a simplicity in our faith because we believe that those people can hear about Jesus just like we can and they can no longer be those people to us. You know what what I'm saying? Like us and them. When you get into a place of us and them, we have missed the point of the gospel. It's always us and Jesus. Jesus. Getting off task here. <laughs> so good, though. <laughs> we can't make, our, our job is not to make things hyper-spiritual. You ever heard of hyper-spiritual? Dear Lord God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm poking fun at us a little bit. Because sometimes we get to this place where we get so hyper-spiritual that people in the world, I, 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 the, old, the pastor that, that married us would say, you know, you can't be, um, so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. Isn't that great? So we need to have our eye on heaven, yes. But God's still got us here for a reason. He's got people here that need to hear from us, but we need to be humble and have simple faith so that we can understand people that are coming in that have a simple faith as well, that may have some profound theology um, questions or thoughts that may make us question and go, God, they got a good point here. I said it last week, and it bears saying again and again and again. John 3.30 says, he must increase and I must decrease. This is where that humility has legs. Because if we're decreasing and Jesus is increasing in our lives, the us becomes so clear. The us in this world and in this community becomes so clear because we see them as us. And us as them. That simple faith that, that, um, that simple faith that makes drawings like this one. Throwing this out to him. <laughs> but that simple faith 
I love this as a, as a, as a papa, as a daddy. But the thing is, is how much more does God love to see this kind of faith in us? How much more does he love to see, not just a drawing, but to see the drawing of our lives lived out in love, lived out to others in love, with humility, with a simple faith that says, you know what, all you need is Jesus. Why don't you put your things aside, please? And we're just going to pray this morning. Um, You know, I, I think it's good to chew on some things. Chew on some things. Chew on some things.